Welcome to the Seed World Pro Podcast, where seed industry professionals get the knowledge, tools, and peer support they need to grow their businesses and careers. I'm your host, Michelle Klieger. Today, I'll be speaking with Vince Wortman of Advanced Biological Marketing. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. So I'd just like to start, let our listeners get to know you a little bit. So uh, anything from your bio or experience you'd like to share before we get started? Certainly. I've been with uh, ABM since 2006. I actually live in Albert Lee, Minnesota. Um, I'm a graduate of The Ohio State University and uh, have moved, I actually live in Albert Lee, Minnesota now. I moved from Ohio in 98 out to uh, Minnesota. And I've been working with uh, the ABM folks since 2006. I have a lot of experience with uh, biologicals uh, and uh, rhizobium products. Great. Uh, then it sounds like I have the right person since we are going to be talking about biologicals and soil bacteria today. Before we jump right into the topic, is there anything about ABM or inoculates that you think our listeners need to know before we jump into the full topic and, you know, throw around some jargon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Just a little bit of background on ABM. We're a privately owned company uh, located and founded in Van Wert, Ohio. Uh, The company was actually founded in 2000. by Dan Custis and Leon Bird, and uh, like I said, I've been in a, uh, working uh, with ABM since 2006. I was actually a customer of ABM's before joining joining the team. That being said, we're one of the uh, of being privately owned. We're 100% vertically integrated. We have our own research and development team. We have our own manufacturing located in Van Wert, Ohio. We have our own sales and marketing team, and that that really helps with the having a that vertical integration to deliver quality products to our customers. My understanding from our talk earlier that one of the roles you play is communicating back and forth between the research development team and the uh, field team. Uh, and how does that you know, help you understand what products the customers need? Yeah, I really act as the liaison between our sales uh, staff in the field and then our and our, our, our research development team internally inside of the corporate uh, office and our research uh, facility in Geneva, New York. Uh, I really function to translate um, the needs of the field and the needs of uh, the upcoming products uh, to our team uh, in the corporate office. So it really gives me a lot of exposure both on the um, field side uh, to current problems, upcoming problems from the day-to-day events that our sales staff, staff occurs, occur. Also, the, uh, the the problems that we, everyday uh, growers and producers face out there, that those challenges, and I, and I really translate that information to help develop products and solutions that really, uh, first of all, uh, won't cause problems with application and also are easy to use and give great performance. Speaking of some of the challenges that farmers are facing, one of the topics that you and I discussed earlier this week was new virgin ground. Uh, So can you tell the listeners a little bit about what new virgin ground is? And then we'll jump into uh, some of the reasons why um, farmers are planting on this ground. 
virgin ground is actually, uh, or ground that has not seen a legume for a few years, uh, would be considered adverse or virgin conditions. Uh, soil that has not been planted to the, the legume crop, say uh, peanuts or soybeans, chickpeas, peas, uh, generally what we say for more than three years, if for a good example would be uh, CRP land or land that's been out of production, continuous corn going back into a uh, legume, uh, would not have an adequate population of rhizobium to actually take nitrogen out of the air and give it to the host plant. Um, some of the other adverse conditions that we run into are soil pH issues. Uh, we know that pH is extremely important to biological activity. Uh, often when the pH drops below 5.8, we see a reduction of, of biological activity. And then also high pH can have an effect also, of uh, pH above 8.5. Anytime organic matter is less than 1%, uh, drought and flooding can actually have a, a, a dramatic effect on biological populations out there with radiorhizobium. Uh, anytime that soil, topsoil conditions actually see, exceed uh, 80 degrees Fahrenheit, that can be injurious. And then also any type of treatment that would uh, be uh, detrimental to uh, bacteria, uh, say a fumigation type of situation. It's important to remember that rhizobium are live products and they reside in the soil. They form a marriage with our legume plants to take nitrogen out of the air and give it to the plant. So you answered it um, earlier. One of my questions was, you know, is it all legumes or is it really um, the focus of soybeans? It sounds like this applies to all legumes. I'm guessing most of your um, products are involved with soybeans. Is that correct? Yeah, avium actually, uh, the majority of uh, uh, the products that are offered are, are, are definitely in that core of the, uh, this, the corn belt and this corn, you know, the corn soybean type of situation. But avium does offer uh, legume inoculants for 99% of the legumes grown here in the U.S. All legumes have a relationship with uh, Brady rhizobium and one of the things that we really want to ensure is that we get that relationship with Brady rhizobium and the legume crop being grown uh, is extremely important. For example, soybeans actually require 5.5 pounds grain and stover of nitrogen for a bushel of soybeans. Uh, that's a lot of nitrogen and uh, it doesn't, we typically do not apply any type of nitrogen fertilizer to meet that demand. It all comes from uh, the bacteria, uh, the biology that, that forms a, a marriage per se with the soybean plant. So having adequate populations of rhizobium very early on in the life cycle of plant are extremely important to uh, good yields. So by having a strong rhizobium community in the population, the plant is able to get enough nitrogen. Um, and then without it, the plant would benefit from fertilizer application. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, that would be correct. Uh, so when rhizobium are adequate in, in, in the proper numbers, the plant actually forms a marriage with the, the bacteria. They form a structure on the root called a, a nodule, and that's where the bacteria reside. Uh, actually, inside the plant, they're, they're an endophytic organism, means lives inside plant. 
Um, so they actually function to take nitrogen out of the air and provide that to, to the host crop. Without that, for example, I used the 5.5 pounds grain and stover for bushel soybeans. Uh, to grow a 60 bushel bean crop, we would need well over 300 pounds of nitrogen. And if we would convert that to, uh, say, urea, that would be close to uh, 600 pounds of urea required per acre to grow a 60 bushel bean crop. So we see the importance of the relationship of uh, the rhizobium bacteria and soybeans in this example. That's incredible. I um, think that, in a, you know, as we continue to have more conversations about fertilizer and crop inputs and, uh, you know, especially throughout the corn belt, that um, understanding the soil um, microbial community and how that relationship works to develop strong plants continues to be um, really important and a good conversation to be having. Um, a few of the the uh, adverse conditions that you mentioned in the beginning um, were around excessive um, fl flooding. Um, and that really makes me think about last year with all of the rains and the highest prevent plant levels seen. So I assume that you know you're having this conversation a lot right now, given last year's conditions. Is that correct? Yeah, 2019 is a year that everyone would really like to forget if possible. Uh, but we did have a lot of adverse conditions that affected a great number of acres here and in the U.S. And, uh, a lot, you know, a lot of times people are, uh, you know, flooded ground is uh, definitely something that we've got to be concerned with. And it's not necessarily that if we have a flood that kills the bacteria, what happens is we actually get leaching or displacement of the bacteria uh, through the soil profile. So they're not in adequate numbers in the upper few inches of the soil uh, to really establish a good nodulation or a good marriage with, with the host plant. Um, you know, it's a common fallacy that a lot of times people say, oh, you had a flood that your your bacteria drowned it. Well, that's really not necessarily true. If you look at the industry over the last 20 years, uh, as a whole, we do sell and offer Brady Rhizobium products in liquid form. So just because uh, we had a flood out there or we had a, a, a water, uh, it's not necessarily detrimental to the populations. What happens is the flooding or leaching uh, it gets washed through the soil profile. It'll end up uh, deeper than it should. Uh, it really leaves that top few inches of the soil devoid of the correct population. So are there any other conditions as we're getting ready for planting season 2020 um, besides a new legume or coming off of CRP land um, or excessive flooding last year? Are there any other uh, growers that should, you know, that thinking about last year should say, yes, this is something I need to consider. Yeah, there's a, a wide range of environmental factors that really can cause this uh, relationship with uh, legumes and rhizobium not to occur. We covered the, you know, the pH is probably uh, one of the biggest things you guys uh, really out there need to, if you got low pH soils, we need to correct that with liming, get that pH above uh, uh, definitely above a 5.8 into that 6 range. 
Uh, we covered the flooding and the droughts and extended rotation. Another issue would be just overall soil compaction, hard soils. Uh, the bacteria do take nitrogen out of the air, and if we don't have gas exchange out there, we're not going to have a good nodulation. Uh, soybeans won't be able to get the benefit of uh, uh, that gas exchange. And the other thing would be deep planting or planting the seed too deep in the soil. Once again, that goes back to uh, gas exchange and uh, early development of the nodulation. So before planting, when does someone need to get in contact with you to take advantage of under, well, one, when does somebody need to understand what their rhizobium situation would be, whether it's testing the soil? Um, and then two, how, when do they need to get in contact with you? To, because this is obviously something that happens before planting uh, to make sure that they hit their planting windows. When it, when it comes to, you, you mentioned testing of soil for Brady rhizobium, that's one of the things that there's really not an industry-wide standard test to say, yes, you have adequate numbers uh, for for next for the, the, the crop that you're going to plant. Uh, really got to look at some of the agronomic background that I discussed earlier. Uh, have you had a flood or drought? Uh, do you have ground that tends to have a, a, a lower CC, lower organic matter? Do you have some pH issues? Uh, does the ground tend to be a little bit harder? Those are all factors that increase risk of uh, possibility of not having adequate populations of rhizobium. Uh, growers uh, can uh, inoculate their seed uh, either with pre-inoculation or uh, 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 product supplied during planting. No, I go back to this idea that the reason we use Brady rhizobium or inoculant products with the yume is because they're a live product. They form a relationship with the host plant. They provide the host plant with nitrogen uh, through uh, the, taking it out of the air, making it available to the plant, and then the intern the plant will give that rhizobium a home. Uh, if you, you know, how do you determine if you, if you do need uh, to use an inoculant product with your legume? It really goes back to the factors I talked about earlier. Now, if you've been in a continuous rotation of, I would say, like soybeans, or you've been in a continuous rotation of a of a certain legume on that on that certain on that ground, then you know your likelihood of response to an additional inoculant product is going to decrease. Uh, it's really a factor of uh, how much background population is out there, and the uh, one of the things that is really exciting is the industry as a whole has really gotten better at delivering. Uh, products that stay alive longer. Uh, if I look back over my career at ABM when I first started, uh, the the length of time that we could actually pre-inoculate seed was uh, very short compared to today. And the amount of bacteria that we actually deliver to the seed has increased greatly. So the products that we sell today in 2020 are definitely not the products of a few years ago. Uh, they deliver higher titers out there to to the seed and overall, we get better results. So uh, that's exciting in the industry, especially knowing the challenges that we have here in 2020. Um, you mentioned that the pre that they're live and with that the pre inoculation lasts longer. So are there special ways that the inoculant or the seed has to be stored uh, in between when it's inoculated and when it's planted? Yes, storage of uh, not only the seed but any type of uh, rhizobium product is uh, extremely important to make sure we keep the product alive. You know, some of the 
the things we want to make sure we're doing with storing product is uh, obviously if we were going to have a product, we need to keep it alive. And heat would be the number one thing that we would be concerned about with uh, keeping products alive. I also want to mention uh, Rhizobium products in the marketplace or inoculants do have expiration dates. So we want to make sure that we're using fresh product and we're keeping it cool and dry prior to use. And then after, if we're doing any type of ap application to the seed, after application, make sure that uh, that is uh, that seed's not exposed to, to sunlight long-term. Rhizobium actually live below ground. Sunlight is deadly to them, uh, the UV radiation from the sun. Uh, so, you know, if we're, for example, filling up a semi or, or a, a transport of uh, soybeans, we would want to tarp that load. Or a lot of soybeans today actually get treated into into pro, uh, boxes or uh, pro bags, and we would have meant, want to make sure that we're not leaving those outside, like say on asphalt uh, against the building during a higher temperature time. Generally, overall, uh, temperatures above 80, 85 degrees are not ideal for Brady rhizobium. Uh, rhizobium are a fragile organism in the e soil ecosystem, and we just need to treat them as such. It makes a lot of sense when you say it that way. Something that lives below ground, you know, it's cooler, it never gets exposed to light, doesn't really like being in the sunlight. So um, it almost seems like a silly question in retrospect, but uh, it's not something that I would have thought about. So uh, just considering where this product is coming from and why we're using it, you know, I think adds a good amount of framework. Um, I assume that your team has seen an improvement on soybean yields in in places um, where it is where these inoculants are used, um, presumably especially when the conditions were poor the prior year. Uh, do you have any stories about that? Yeah, I'll talk about uh, expectations when using an inoculant. I'm going to really go back to this idea of uh, organic matter and CC. Um, in the uh, central corn belt, the I-80, I-70 corn belt, the I states, you know, we, we have pretty much, we have ideal conditions. We tend to have higher organic matter soils with higher CECs, and that's really ideal to, uh, for uh, populations of rhizobium. Of course, we did have this idea of, uh, of uh, uh, not an ideal season last year. We had a lot of flooding, which would occur, uh, which push uh, rhizobium out of the upper profile. But uh, when we move into lower CEC soils, lower organic matter, those back, that background soil is just not hospitable long-term to help the rhizobium survive. So typically what we see in rotated ground in the I-states, we can see uh, increases up to uh, on a uh, normal year, say uh, like a 2018, 2017 year, one to three bushels would be a typical expectation on rotated ground or a yield increase with uh, most of the premium products or, or well-known products in the industry, including the ABM products. Um, when conditions become adverse, we do see that number increase. You know, three to five bushels would not be uncommon where we've had adverse conditions in the I-States. Now, if we move north or south of that into soils that have lower organic matter, lower CEC, have exposure to higher temperatures, especially in the mid-south and south, uh, we can see uh, yield advantages. Uh, I've seen uh, advantages in especially like virgin ground uh, 
anywhere from 15 to 20, 30 bushels an acre differences by you using a good quality inoculant and not using a good quality inoculant. So once again, it gets back to this idea, uh, soybeans uh, need nitrogen. They need a lot of it. It's got to come from someplace. And if they don't have the uh, rhizobium there to, to give that to the plant, uh, yield is really going to suffer. I have to say that I love that you called it the I-States. I have lived on the East Coast my entire life and occasionally refer to that region as the I-States. And people look at me a little funny. So it makes me feel like, you know, maybe I'm not so out of touch. Um, it sounds like you cover a lot of ground, literally, um, in your work. Uh, so last year, you know, a tough year for everyone. Are you beginning to see, um, get a feel for what the season might look like? Yeah, just looking at the overall weather patterns patterns, and, and also uh, through my travels over the last uh, 60 days, I think we're in a setup where the eastern Corn Belt is in somewhat better condition than the western Corn Belt for overall uh, uh, so planting progress this spring. Uh, the Western Corn Belt still does have a lot of uh, water. The Northern Plains is, uh, it, is, is really uh, a concern uh, coming into this planting, planting season. A lot of crop did not get harvested last fall. Uh, there, and also the amount of uh, the water table was extremely full to the top uh, going into the spring. The other concern for this, uh, this spring would be the, the Mid-South. Uh, we've had a lot of precipitation there. A uh, very unusual amount of precipitation over the last 90 days. So, looking at the overall uh, planting progress that I would expect, I, I, I foresee the eastern corn belt to uh, to really get in uh, good and early this year. Uh, there may be the challenges in our western corn belt, mid south, and, and great and great plants. You mentioned that some of the material didn't get harvested last year. How does that uh, impact soil? health or quality? Well, one of the things that we've always got to remember is that biology actually is fed, soil biology is fed by a root, and we need to have a, 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 a living plant there really to uh, feed the soil and grow the overall population of, a, of, a, of, of soil microbes and fungi. So without having a living plant there, if we have a fallow situation, the overall background population of not just rhizobium, but overall life uh, will decrease. You know, um, where does the food come from for, for this? Well, it comes through photosynthesis. You know, the plant collects sunlight, produces sugars, uses it for itself, and also feeds the, the bacteria and fungi in the soil. So, and I, you know, when we don't harvest or we have a foul situation or we have fruit vent plant, uh, we're really not feeding the soil for that time, and that can actually lead to decrease in uh, overall populations of uh, microbes. Very interesting. Um, is there anything else we missed on this topic that you would like to explain to the audience or let them know? I just uh, remember that legumes are wonderful crops to grow, you know, where you look at uh, the amount of nitrogen needs or nitrogen fertilizer you actually have to purchase if compared to uh, our cereal crops. Uh, we generally don't purchase nitrogen for our soybeans, peas, and lentils. 
uh, a peanut peanut crop because we get that that nitrogen out of a out of the air through this process of nodulation with uh, uh, Brady rhizobium. Inoculant products are really fundamental agronomic process practices to ensure that we get quality year, yields year after year. Uh, when we've had these adverse conditions, especially like in 2019 in uh, certain parts of the U.S., we just need to realize that we may do, need to do a little bit extra uh, this season to ensure that we do get good nodulation in soybeans, peanuts, peas, uh, to, to maintain those uh, good quality yields. And you've been focusing so much on soybeans recently um, for understandable reasons, but um, from what I've been reading the last few weeks, the demand for peas and other legumes has really shot up. Um, so you you might be visiting some other areas in the near future. Yeah, ABM does offer the legume uh, inoculant for 99% of the crops grown here in the U.S., and that would include chickpeas and and uh, field peas as well as fresh market uh, green beans and peas for canning so uh, that will you know the protein demands are going to continue to increase over the years uh, i really see chickpeas and peas being be, being more uh, of a crop even grown in, in iowa you know uh, you know i know that uh, a lot of producers are considering and the university is is actually exploring aggressively the options for uh, additional protein sources uh, here in, in, the, in the Midwest. So, uh, you know, like I mentioned, peas, chickpeas uh, are also legumes and they do require rhizobium products. So now I'm intrigued and have to ask, is this a um, Beyond Meat Impossible Burger type demand or are people just eating more peas than they have? Well, I think you've uh, you've identified the the point source for the demand. It's the alternative uh, protein source, the plant-based proteins that are uh, the Beyond Meats have really started to drive the demand here in the U.S. for uh, uh, alternative protein to livestock. Uh, so yes, it is is being driven by the vegetable-based protein uh, products in in the marketplace that are that have really. Uh, 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 grown greatly over the last few years. It's so interesting because I feel like, you know, we the news and in general conversation really focuses where the consumer is, um, but the, the agriculture supply chain has to adjust to meet that demand. So um, personally fascinated to see and hear that it is, you know, beginning to trickle all the way back down the supply chain to um, what seeds are getting planted. Absolutely. Uh, you know, farmers react very quickly to new opportunity. Uh, they're one of the best in innovators that we have in this country, and they've definitely paid attention to this new demand out there for alternative proteins. Very neat. Um, I learned a lot from our conversation. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, um, and I hope to have you back on the show again soon. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thanks.